I think the organization is all in. I think the, the Steinbrenner family is all in, and they know their payroll might go over $300 million. You are Locked On Yankees, your daily New York Yankees podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Yankees, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. With me, as always, is my producer, Steve Granato. Steve, happy Friday. We made it. We, we made, made it. it. Friday. We made it through winter meetings. We got the Soto stuff done. And we have Michael K on the show here today. What a week. <laughs> what a week. What a banner week for Locked On Yankees. Um, thank you guys for clicking on the show. This is also our last episode of five days a week. So next week, starting on Monday, we go to three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday here on YouTube and audio, just as a reminder. Um, and we're going to be taking a little bit of time off as well because we need it. Um, so just as a PSA today, we have Michael K on the show. We have a whole bunch of cool, really cool stuff. Let's not put this off any further. That's why you clicked Michael K on Locked on Yankees. Michael K joins the show and Michael, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm a little worried for you because the last What's guest that? we had on this show was Richard Fitz. <laughs> So I hope you don't get traded after this. That's that's my biggest concern at this point. Well, I'm going to break some news on your show. I have a no trade clause, so I'm cool. <laughs> okay, good. That's that's great to know. Well, you could always waive it, but you know, I don't think you. <laughs> no, would. not from the Yankees. <laughs> not from the Yankees. Uh, hey, thanks for joining, man. We really appreciate it. Obviously, we got to get to the elephant in the room here, man. Uh, this is this is a few hours after Juan Soto. Um, none of us really slept. Um, we're probably still riding a little high, but you've had a few hours to kind of sit on it. Where's your head at when it comes to Juan Soto right now? You know, from the, the time, I guess it was on Tuesday, you know, when I was doing the, the hot stove show on yes with Jack and Jack was all over it. And he, he said it was essentially done. You know, I started processing then. I mean, this is at the age of 24. Now he's 25. Now he's one of the best players in the history of baseball. When you look at it, every kind of metric, old time metrics, advanced metrics. That's how good this guy is. And the Yankees flexed last night when it became official, they, they essentially, you know, assume the role again of the evil empire, you know, pairing up judge and, and Soto at the two, three spots in that order. And the people that you could put around them, you know, it's going to be tough for any pitcher in baseball to navigate that lineup. And, you know, I said this on the show last night, that first inning, is going to be must-see TV. I mean, who wants to miss Soto batting and, and, and Judge batting and possibly Stanton and Rizzo? So they, they've, they've built up an animalistic lineup. But, you know, in truth, they traded away a lot of pitching depth, and they definitely got work to do to, uh, to shore up their pitching. But right now their offense is in pretty good shape. What's going to be the, the first thing? What's going to be the first thing when he walks out there uh, for you? What you ready thinking about what you're going to say, or are you trying to fly off the cuff when, uh, when he walks to bat for the first time? No, definitely. Uh, you know, I'll play off the energy uh, in the ballpark. Unfortunately, the Yankees open on the road, but you know, when it gets back to Yankee stadium for the home opener, that's, that's going to be thrilling. This guy is, um, you know, he's, he's a legitimate star. You know, he, he's got some swag to him, a word that I don't love, but he definitely has that. 
Um, the spotlight finds him, uh, and there's nothing that's not interesting about him. I mean, he is he's a guy who lives for the moment. I think he's been built for this. I think the stadium is built for him. You know, he, he's never been a prodigious home run hitter, but I could definitely see him getting into the 40s next year by playing half of his games at Yankee Stadium. And he's going to provide protection for Judge. You know, I said this last night, man, and, you know, the more I think about it, the more I, I believe it's true. When Judge hit the 62 home runs, I was amazed that people pitched to him. There was no protection in the lineup whatsoever. It just didn't make sense. And, you know, people say, you know, he, he started to feel pressure in September. That's why it took him so long to get to 60, 61, 62. And if you watch the games, that really wasn't the case. People stopped pitching to him. You know, the, the pitchers didn't want to be the one who gave up the historic milestone home run, so they just pitched around him. But now, you know, the, the joke was, well, who could you ever put behind him that would make somebody, you know, want to pitch to Aaron Judge? And I think that they found that guy. Not that uh, Soto is better than Judge, but it's definitely a, a bit of a choice for the other team and the, and the manager. You know, I got to pick my poison here. Do I want to pitch to Judge or do – I want to pitch to Soto, and Soto being left-handed gives the uh, the lineup a lot more balance, which it hasn't had. So, yeah, I know they gave up a lot. There, there are no deals that are complete home runs, but this one's pretty close. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, they made another move, and uh, they got Alex Verdugo, and they also got rid of the aforementioned Richard Fitz in that deal. What do you think of the Verdugo move? I love the Soto move. Uh, I don't quite get the Verdugo mood uh, because by getting Trent Grisham in the deal with the Padres as well, that kind of solves your center field situation. Now, Grisham is not the hitter that um, that Verdugo is, but uh, he's a, an outstanding center fielder. And I would feel a lot better about things if I knew that Judge was the right fielder rather than having to play a lot of games in center. And, you know, there's there's danger anywhere you play. You know, Judge got hurt in right field at Dodger Stadium last year. But the wear and tear on his body as he gets older, I'm just not in love with him playing center field. And I guess Grisham being on the team, um, you know, maybe Soto is the DH when when Stanton is down, you know, sitting a couple of days a week or if he gets hurt. So you, you, you would make Soto the DH and Grisham would be in, um, in center field. And then you could have Verdugo on left and, and Judge in right. Verdugo does bring some baggage. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in Boston. And, you know, from what I hear, Alex Cora is thrilled they made that deal. So, you know, the, he sat him down a couple of times. He thought he wasn't hustling. Uh, we'll see how he fits into the Yankee fabric. I think it's a great thing for him, though, because by, by being traded to the Yankees, he has to shave that beard, which is not a great beard. <laughs> we were joking about that on the show too. We're like, man, that's that's a that's a decision for guys like that. We're comparing it to Andrew McCutcheon. It was like Kutch had to shave that thing, and he looked like a completely different human being uh, after that. But yeah, uh, Doogie's in the same same vein as that. Uh, you mentioned a lot about what they gave up for Soto, uh, and you can say the same thing for what they gave up for Dugo. Um, and in the same vein, in the Rule 5, and obviously those guys weren't going to make massive impacts in 2024, but they were your depth. So where do you think the Yankees are uh, in their heads when it comes to pitching right now? No, I think, you know, job one for them is is definitely trying to sign Yamamoto. I think the organization is all in. I think the, the Steinbrenner family is all in, and they know their payroll might go over $300 million, but they love this guy. So do, so do a lot of teams in baseball. So there's going to be competitions. We, you know, we found out yesterday that 
you know, Cohen and, and Stearns have already flown out to Japan, Japan to meet with them. And the Yankees are going to meet with them on Monday. I, I'm sure it's going to come down to money. But um, I, I don't know if it stops there, guys. You know, they need a lot of pitching because you, you don't know if Nestor Cortez is okay. You have no idea. Uh, I think I'm one of the few people, and people push me back on this, but I'm one of the few people that I think Rodon could be a really good player for the Yankees. You know, the, the great years that he had, they don't just disappear. So he had an injury. It was a bad way to start the season. He, he finished the season poorly as well. But this guy can pitch. So I think, you know, if, if healthy, he's going to be fine. But you don't know if Cortez is going to be healthy. You know, Clark Schmidt is a guy, you know, they call Clark Schmidt an innings eater. And I'm sure the Yankees would much rather have preferred Schmidt to being traded than King. But the Padres didn't want Schmidt. They wanted King. So, you know, even if they sign Yamamoto, I, I think they're going to try to sign Montas to, a, a you know, a make good deal with a lot of incentives so he can prove himself. And they might even go further than that because – as you mentioned, a lot of the depth is gone. But I give the Yankees credit, and this does um, rebut some of the uh, the big criticism they get. And a lot of it's warranted. You know, the Yankee farm system doesn't produce. Well, you, you know, what it does produce is it produces players that can be traded for players that can help. And, uh, you know, and when you see the Rule 5 draft, the first two players taken are Yankee pitchers. Uh, they're, they're producing something that's attracting other teams. And, you know, despite all the trades the Yankees have made in recent years, the only one that really, you know, hurts is, you know, Ezekiel Duran. You'd like to have him rather than getting Joey Gallo. But, you know, the bottom line is you, you can't use everybody. You can't have every kid in the minor leagues make it. Most prospects don't make it. And I think it was it was really smart of the Yankees to make these deals. Agree with pretty much everything there. Uh, you got to give something to get something has kind of been the unofficial catchphrase of this show over the last couple of weeks. And people are like, trade Stan, trade this, do this, do this. And you're like, well, you got to give something to get something. Um, and that's what the Yankees ended up doing. Early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's an easy $150 if your team wins. If you consider joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is a breeze to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and you can also combine prop bets on a game into a single-game parlay for even more fun and more chances to win big. The Jets are facing the Texans at home on Sunday. The Texans are favored by three and a half. The over-under is 33 and a half. The Giants will be facing the Packers on Monday Night Football, and the Packers are favored by six and a half, while the over and under is, or the over-under is 36 and a half. And just so you know, the Yankees have 14 to one odds, which I'm sure will change now that they got Juan Soto. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. We have this really cool thing that we did here, Michael. Uh, we have this thing called the Locked On Yankees Insiders Club. It's uh, some of our more hardcore fans. They have the opportunity to text us, ask us questions, and kind of be a de facto producer on the show. And we ran a competition uh, to guess a random number. And uh, the person who guessed the closest number, his name was Adam. He is one of our Locked On Yankees Insiders. And what he won was a chance to ask you a question. So let's go ahead and take a look and a listen at what Adam's question for Michael K is. 
Hey, Michael K. This is Adam uh, coming to you from New England. Uh, hey, quick question. Out of all the games you've been a part of, all the games you, you've called, um, do, you have, do you have a favorite call? Um, is there one that stands out and you're like, man, I nailed it? Um, and then on the other side of things, do you ever look back and kind of cringe or say like, well, oh, I, I, I kind of flubbed the words on that one. Me personally, Jeter's last homer, um, Judge's homer off Romano last year, up for grabs, absolute goosebumps. Um, but yeah, that's it. Thanks for uh, everything you do. Uh, coming on the podcast uh, with these guys, the show with Don and Peter, uh, big fans, and uh, thanks for being the voice of of this household. Uh, you know, six, seven, eight months out of the year. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much, Adam. That's 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 really nice, and I feel for you, a Yankee fan in New England. That must not be fun. Um, uh, in, in terms of what, what, what was it, the, my favorite call? I, I've been so fortunate, guys, because. You know, you know, just broadcasting the Yankees for 32 years. I mean, you get a lot of opportunities to 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 call great moments. So I've had a couple of them. I don't know if I could narrow it down. You know, one of one of my favorite moments I wasn't calling was um, you know just Mattingly jogging in the outfield before Game One of the 1995 uh, Wild Card Game against Seattle. That was that was just unbelievable. You know, Mattingly was like the last player that I was a fan of before I became a a, a beat writer for the Post. And, you know, he was just he was just the best. And I, I think Yankee fans loved him. And, and just to see that re- reception when uh, when he ran out about an hour before the game and the place was jammed because people weren't spoiled by then because they had not been in the postseason since 81. So just the, that reaction. And then when he hit the home run um, at home as well in that series, it was just amazing. Um, in terms of other calls, Tino Martinez grand slam against Mark Langston. In Game One of the 1998 series, that was that was a blast. Um, Jeter's 3,000, that was a, a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Jeter's last hit at Yankee Stadium, you know, where uh, what was it? Fantasy becomes reality. Th- those are some of my favorite ones. Mister November, uh, I just been I I, I mean a, a kid from the Bronx who all he ever wanted to do was broadcast the Yankees. To get a chance to like piggyback on some of these moments has been amazing. And in terms of the cringe. Yeah, I've been lucky. I, I really have. And that's all it is, is luck. Because the last thing you ever want to do is stumble over a big call. And it's not because of my ego. It's not that at all. I promise. It's you don't want to ruin that moment for that person. You know, like, uh, you know, when, when Judge hit a 62nd, I went down uh, into the clubhouse after, uh, before the final game where he didn't play. And I didn't even seek him out. He was talking to somebody. And I was talking to somebody in the middle of the clubhouse. And he came over. He goes, "That you made that was a great call. Thank you." And then, I mean, that's that's all you really want because that is an important moment for him. The three thousand hit is an important home run for Derek, and an important moment. And you don't want to mess that up or screw it up or have your ineptitude be connected to that great moment for them. So I, I, I mean, I'm I'm sure I I flubbed calls. I certainly have. But I, I've been so, so lucky that I haven't flubbed like a big call. And and the strangest thing, you know, broadcasting in five World Series, I never felt pressure like I felt with the judge calls. I don't know why. Maybe with the advent of social media and everybody becomes Andrew Marshand. But uh, I, I just felt a lot of pressure on those calls because everybody was ringing in and every word was parsed and dissected. And I just didn't want to mess it up for Aaron. So, yeah. But um, thank you for those kind words, by the way.
Yeah. Hey, on that, by the way, while we're on the topic of that 60 second Homer, there was a lot made of it's not going to be Michael K because of Apple TV plus. Like, did you see all that stuff or were you trying to ignore it? I did see it and, and it got uncomfortable because there was a movement afoot um, to have me call the game. And it, it, I, I don't know if it started with the Yankees or it started with the people of the Yes Network. But once I heard that, uh, I, I said, shut it down. I said, I refuse to do the game. I said, that's not the way this works. I'm not going to Bigfoot somebody else. The guy at Apple deserves that opportunity. I mean, if, if, if the chips fall that way, then they fall that way. But I'm not going to Bigfoot somebody and, and take the call. I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. And I guess the baseball god smiled on, on Yes because he, he didn't hit a home run in the Fox game. He didn't hit a home run in the uh, in the Apple TV game. And uh, all, the, all the home runs ended up on yes. So uh, I was really fortunate, but it was an uncomfortable situation. I was flattered that people wanted me to be on the call, but I just didn't think it was right. If the call happened during an Apple game, then it was that guy's call. I think it was Steven Nelson. And uh, I, I would not step in to do it. For sure. No, I get it. I mean, I think about uh, Billy McDonald. He got to call Kobe's, you know, 81 point game by luck. <laughs> that was super lucky. He was filling yeah. in that night. So completely random. And my, you know, one of my best friends in the world is, uh, is Mike Green. And when LeBron broke the record, it was Brian Anderson. It was, it was not an ESPN game, nor was it an MSG game. And, you know, Mike's had a lot of great calls and he's very philosophical about it. And it just didn't drop his way. And that's the way you have to look at it. Yeah. Okay. I want you to think back 10 years. Uh-oh. Think about the craziness that was happening with certain Yankee players. And could you have ever imagined 10 years ago that you'd not only be hosting a weekly show with A-Rod during the season, but doing playoff games with him in the booth? And the second part to that question is, what is it like working with Alex Rodriguez? Uh, no, I never, I never thought that we would be working together because during that time, Stacey, we didn't talk. I mean, there was like a year and a half with that, you know, we walked past each other because when, when it all came down with the, with the performance enhancing drugs and the suspension, you know, because I have a radio show, I mean, it's, it's enviable, but it's unenviable to be a play by play guy for a team. And then have a radio show where you have to be, you know, totally objective. And I destroyed Alex and, you know, he thought that we had a relationship, which we did, but I can't, I can't fake out the fans by, by trying to put lipstick on a pig. That was awful what he did. And then we didn't, we didn't talk for a long time. And then he came to me and he said, I realized you were doing your job and you, what you said was right. And um, then, then the K-Rod thing came about and we did that for two years. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen again because, you know, he signed exclusively with Fox. So still not sure. I think it's going to continue, but I don't know in, in what way, shape or form or who I'm going to work with, but, Stacey, I got to tell you, working with him was a blast because he, if anything, if I could say a negative about him, he is the most overprepared guy I've ever seen. He never wants to look bad. He never wants to not know something. Uh, he, he has so many notes and preparation going into every single game that we've ever done. And the K-Rod stuff is fun, but, you know, you've seen it. it it's kind of like a talk show wrapped around a game. Uh, but doing the playoff games with him, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, just like just sitting in the booth and doing a game because of all the people I've met, all the broadcasters I've met, I don't know if there's a combination of a guy who loves baseball and actually is like um, more of a, uh, a baseball geek than Alex. And, uh, you know, doing the games in Lo the, the game in London, 
and then, and then doing the two playoff series. It was great. So I, I gained an appreciation. I mean, I don't even know when this guy sleeps. You know, he runs a, a multi-billion dollar business. He owns the Timberwolves. I don't think he's ever up. He, you get emails from him at three in the morning, but uh, he's a hard worker. I'll tell you that. Yeah, he's um, the, the one thing I love about A-Rod is he has a memory like me or I can't remember why I walked into a room, but I can remember stuff from 1985 and he can go back 25 years and say, oh, I hit a three two change up off of this guy in the fifth inning of this game and hit a home run. And you're just like, wow, like how does his brain work like that? Oh, it, it's unbelievable. It, it's it, it's almost like Sheldon on you know Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I mean, he knows pitch sequences from when he was playing in high school. It, I, but there are a lot of baseball players like that. Uh, there, there's a level of intelligence and uh, a baseball intelligence, and he also has uh, other intelligence as well, but baseball intelligence and uh, almost like Rain Man-like qualities to these players. I mean, Roger Clemens is like that as well. He could tell you exactly what pitch he threw and, and what game and how, you know, how he thought and his thought process of getting this guy out. 20 years ago. And I'm like you, Stacey, I have the memory of a gnat. So it's, it's, I'm very envious. <laughs> um, now you were talking about the playoff series. Uh, did it feel weird at all for you to use Sia for non-Yankee players hitting home runs? <laughs> yeah, it would be like kissing somebody other than my wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, you know, it felt good because one thing I've always wondered, I mean, I, I, I believe I have the best job in broadcasting broadcasting the New York Yankees that's pretty pretty neat but there was always a part of me that wondered would my would my act so to speak play nationally so the K-Rod thing gave me an opportunity uh but I I just like the fact to get a chance to do playoff games because uh I I didn't want to be one of those guys that you know oh you hate my team you know most people I think they're wrong look at me as a, a Yankee apologist or a Yankee homer I, I guess they don't listen to everything I say but, you know, the Philly series two years ago, I got a lot of compliments from Philly fans. And, you know, then uh, this this year with the Twins and the Blue Jays, it just felt fun. It felt fun to do it. And, you know, and then it led to me having to explain, you know, where'd you come up with Sia? Because, you know, it, I, I was dating a girl right before I got the Yankee radio job. Uh, and I thought, gee, I got to come up with a with a call, I guess. And whenever at the end of a date, she'd get out of a car and she'd go, Sia, wouldn't want to be you. I go, hmm, let me get rid of wouldn't want to be. And that became the home run call. So now people in Philadelphia, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Toronto know about that young lady who lives in suffering. Hey, so we have, uh, like we said, some rapid fire we wanted to throw at you. So we kind of ran the gamut so far, but we want to completely turn it on to you now and uh and just see what you what you got here in in the back of your brain okay um, so be ready let's let's we did this with richard fitz again we're not trying to get you traded here but uh this this is becoming a part of the a part of the show so let's go ahead and get into these rapid fires i'm just gonna fire them off at you um, okay okay the first one what's the funniest untrue thing that you've ever read about yourself um there was something that somebody put into wikipedia that um my sister debbie was dating bob Lorenz. Since they're both married, and they also in, somebody in Wikipedia put that I was the chap, captain of the chess club at Fordham. There's no chess club at Fordham. I have never played chess in my life. I'm not smart enough. So those are some of the stuff. Love it. Um, what's the thing that you remember most about doing play-by-play -play for All-Star Baseball on N64? 
Wow, that's a, that. Wow, you're good. Um, the thing I remember is how like time intensive it was to do it. That was unbelievable. And like, if you remember, it, it was me and John. So John did the play by play. And I was the analyst. And you have to like come up with every single thing that you can analyze about a pitch or a play or a catch. And I remember I did like three days of it, like six straight hours at night. And uh, I walked out of it each night, like at two, three in the morning out of the studio. And I couldn't even talk. It was so much talking and so labor intensive. I mean, it's not exactly hard work, like lifting, you know, lifting cable, but it, it, that, that's what I remember the most. But it, it, I wish I, I was doing one now because I, I have a, a, a nine-year-old son who's like into video games, but uh, uh, they, they, ha they didn't rehire us after 94. <laughs> uh, well, well, we'll get a call to PS uh, to PlayStation and we'll get you on the show or something. Uh, <laughs> I, know they have, I know they have script writers now for that. Uh, so you oh, were yeah, writing your own stuff. They didn't back then. It was like, just wait. All right. Tell me what would happen if there's a ground ball in the hole. I go, okay. It, it was, it was, it was unbelievable, but it was fun. Yeah. Um, alive or dead dream play by play partner. You've never worked with Vince Scully. Wow. So you never actually got to do a game with him ever. Nope. I mean, I, I interviewed him, uh, uh, he presented me with an award at Fordham, the Vince Scully Award. Uh, I think, you know, there, there's no one that will ever be better. No one has ever been better. You know, his mastery of the language, the, the vocabulary that he used, the cadence and the sound of his voice. Once, and I can't say once in a lifetime, I think once and forever. I don't think there'll ever be anybody like him. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, do you remember the first game you ever called? Yes. There's a funny story behind it. Uh, it's the first regular season game, I had done some, you know, I did some spring training games, but the first game ever was in 92, and it was the Yankees and the Red Sox. It was opening day. And I was so nervous because, you know, I've wanted to be the Yankee announcement since I was nine. And I'm sitting there and making out my lineup card, having to go to the bathroom. It was brutal. And um, like 20 seconds before air, John Sterling turns to me and goes, uh, as you embark on this career, I've got two bits of advice. And I go, oh, I'm thinking to myself, thank goodness, you know, uh, I need some guidance here. And he goes, number one, never ask me my age on the air, ever. Number two, I talk to myself a lot. Don't be alarmed. I said, okay. And then the engineer said, okay, you're on. And that was my that was the beginning of my broadcasting career. How, how bad was that? Because I, I do play-by-play -play myself as well. I've done a lot of minor league stuff. So I think back to the first game I ever called, and I just never want to listen to it again. You know, I wish that I had a tape of it. Somebody has tried to find it, but I, I, I know I wasn't – I mean, I, I thought it was okay being the analyst, and John did six of the play-by-play -play innings. But the play-by-play -play was – you know, it was, it was rough to the point. I mean, thank God that there was no social media then because I would have been eviscerated. Um, but um, it, it got so bad that um, the boss at WABC radio called me in like maybe in, in August. And he said to me, he goes, all right, uh, you know, I know you're struggling, but do you believe in yourself? I said, yeah. I said, I just, I need some more reps and time. He goes, do you believe in yourself? I said, yes, I do. He goes, 
and I believe in you. He said, you have a five-year contract and you will be here all five years. So stop worrying. Guy's name was Don Belucas. He was like an angel sent from heaven. <laughs> yeah, you need that sometimes. Uh, don't know what your audio medium of choice is, but uh, either it's, it's Apple or Spotify or whatever you use. Did you have a Spotify rap this season or this year, I should say? And uh, what was your number one artist? I, I don't use them that much, and I'm, I'm, I'm more old school than that. So, like, I, I love Bruce Springsteen and, and, and Billy Joel. So if you listen to the stuff that I listen to while I'm working out, it's probably Billy Joel and, and Bruce Springsteen. Nice. Uh, and then last one we have for you. Uh, what was the last show you binge watched? Um, I'm starting. Uh, I just I did the first two episodes, and I'm waiting. I, I guess the new one's coming out today is Bookie with Sebastian Maniscalco. Amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I would recommend it highly. Charlie Sheen's in it, too. Uh, and it's like he's a, one of the last illegal bookies in California. And I'm a big fan of Maniscalco's uh, comedy, and I think he's doing a great job on this show. So that's that's what I'm binging right now. You know what amazes me every time, like whenever we ring that up? we You could totally have never heard of a show, and it's like one of the best shows that someone's <laughs> ever watched in their life. Yeah, you know what? There, there's too much stuff. I mean, you just I, with two kids and two full-time jobs, I don't – I don't like Don LaGreca is always getting on me. Go, I can't believe you haven't watched this. I go, when do you have time? I mean, yeah. I, I've got to watch games and, and stuff like that, and then there's something called sleep, so – I wish I had time. I mean, I, one thing I want to, I've, I've watched the first two seasons of the morning show and this one's been out, you know, for a couple of months. I haven't, I haven't even watched it yet. So that, that's something, that's a show that I really love. I just haven't had time to watch it. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm like halfway through season two of the bear and I'm just like, I, I got to sit down and be anxious for a few <laughs> hours. I just haven't got a chance. To yeah. My, my wife watches that one, but I, I, I'm not a big foodie. You know, I don't even like ketchup. So I don't think I'd like the bear. Speaking of that, I just have to tell you one thing that I think you'd find amusing. My okay. nickname, my nickname in college from one of my friends was Soup because every time he saw me, I was eating soup. And it's nearly thirty years later, and he still calls me that when he texts me every once in a while. <laughs> and I, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll follow that up with I have never in my life had soup <laughs> because I just don't like the whole idea of the slurping and stuff like that. And yeah. So you're soup and I'm no soup. No soup for well, me. That's a, that's a great way to end this. Uh, that is like the perfect, that you come here for Juan Soto talk and you end with uh, you are soup and I am no soup. <laughs> uh, Michael K, what a, what a treat, man. We really appreciate you taking out time, especially considering how busy and crazy things are over these last 12 or so hours. So thank you so much for joining us. Anytime this was fun. If you want to do it again, I'm here for you guys. Many thanks again to Michael K for joining the show, man. What a again, what a banner week, Stace. And to, to finish it off the way we finished it, man. I uh I think is this the best week on this show in the show, history of this show? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Also wanted to give a shout out to all our new subscribers uh from joining us from the live episode. Uh, joining us from the day after the Soto stuff mm. on Thursday. Thank you, guys. We are almost at 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. So if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Um, thank you to our insiders as well for being a part of our Soto stuff. Thank you to our insiders for submitting questions for Michael K. That was super cool. Um, we're just so blessed this week. We really are. Like, yeah. 
it's nice to step back and, and think about it. Yeah, yeah. Just with the craziness of the Soto stuff, it was nice to have an episode like this. <laughs> yes, we needed this. We needed this. Not to yeah. gush too much over it. Uh, back to business on Monday, Stace. Um, we're going to be doing some lineup stuff. So again, yeah. we are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, starting next week for the next couple of weeks. And then once spring training rolls around, once pitchers and catchers, that's usually when we go back to five days a week. So it's almost back, uh, but we are going to be taking a little bit of a holiday break. But uh, on Monday, again, lineups. What does it look like with Soto? What does it look like with Verdugo? How is it all going to shake out? What's there to do with the rotation? There are a whole bunch of things we need to get into, um, and that's coming up on Monday. And that does it for a banner week of Locked on Yankees. I'm Steve Grinnell. And I'm Stacey Gatsoulias. We will see you on Monday.